December 2019. So everything that I look back at, even if it was a, a good interaction or productive thing or whatever, uh, instant regret, instant guilt. <laughs> so, you know, I can totally get like looking back. Why did I do that? Why am I? No, what? You don't have to be famous to be interesting. Welcome back to A Conversation with Albie. I'm Albie, and I shampoo my arms so I remember that I shampoo my head so I don't get stuck in a, did I shampoo or not loop, and use half a bottle. <laughs> oh, is, am I supposed to do so, or is that pause for laughter, or is it? <laughs> uh, you can introduce yourself and say something silly about yourself that people might not know. Oh, hi, I'm Allison Pregler. I own, as far as I know, the only dryer lint portrait of Dean Stockwell. Which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't make it, but I'm proud to own it. <laughs> I think that's when I first heard about you. And I'm like, I didn't know you when I heard about that. But when uh, I think when we first like started to communicate, you mentioned that you were that person. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, idea. that just took the internet by storm. <laughs> the dryer lint portrait video. <laughs> People love that, right? <laughs> it was by an artist named Slater Baron, by the way, the lint lady. Um, and her daughter found that video and then like tweeted at me like a year later. It was just like, hey, thanks for talking about that. And my mom's doing her last show here. If anyone's in this area. And it was really nice. She does shows like she does them live or something. Like art shows. Well, she did. That oh, was her last one. It. So you missed out. But Have, has she done <laughs> she any other anyway. celebrities or or is she done like landscapes in Lint or? Oh, she's done all sorts of things. Um, she there was like an interesting PBS special about it a long time ago um, where they talked about some of her pieces. And um, she did a lot of ones like some that were inspired by her mother and her family. And then she did these series of ones that looked like sushi. She did like a whole living room or something, this weird like room that was uh, made of it. And um, most notably, uh, she did lots of works for uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, uh, which is what happened with the, the Dean Stockwell dryerland portrait. She was commissioned by the, the company to make several pieces for their different um, buildings so there was one in london when i went there of like princess diana um there's some like all over the place and uh yeah so she was commissioned for that and when they were doing um they've had several incarnations of the tv show by now but they were thinking of doing one hosted by dean stockwell in the 90s and so they made a pilot and for that they commissioned this piece and uh and ended up not getting picked up or aired but uh that's why it exists is it out there on Reddit somewhere? No, I wish. Oh man, I re I I really want to see this. <laughs> we gotta we gotta do some uh, make some phone calls. Oh man, one of my friends in the industry tried asking around, but they mm -hmm. were not involved with. Uh, I believe it was NBC that again that would have the rights for it. I could be wrong there. Whoever has the rights for it, they were not involved with them, so they didn't get too far. That would be something to see one day. It really would. 
So you might violate our terms of uh, service here at a Conversation with Albie because the whole point of the show is interviewing people that aren't famous. But after I met you, I found out that you are kind of internet famous. Like I know you as Allison, but there's like a whole group of people that follow you and are like um, very uh, big fans of yours. Oh, thank you. I'm, I mean, I would say I'm like Z-list. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not uh, terribly famous, but I guess a little bit internet famous. <laughs> mm. So, so that's, that's okay. I think, I think we can blur the line there a little bit. Okay. <laughs> not too big to talk to the little people here on conversation with Albie. <laughs> mm. With, with our three listeners. They're very loyal. <laughs> Hi listeners. One of them is me. <laughs> I listened to the one you did with Matt. It was really good. Oh, did you? Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, I learned lots of stuff that I didn't know. And I need to to talk to him more often because he's a really good guy. Yeah, that's basically why I do this is just to talk to people. Yeah, well, it's good. It's good talking to you, too. I I like talking with you, even when we're we're just hanging out and not uh, recording things. Yeah, this is our first time. Well, not first time recording together because I guess we did some Quantum Leap podcasts and uh, a couple other things, maybe. Not yeah, sure. yeah, we did Heart of a Champion and that uh, that bit for the Christmas special that, that never ends. <laughs> so you're kind of famous for liking old, cool stuff. When did you first uh, get that fascination with all things old and cool or so bad it's good kind of stuff? Well, when I was, I don't know, there, there's several sort of things that lead up to it, I guess. But, um, you know, when I was little, I was a... Uh, I was kind of scared of a lot of things uh, like horror movies and scary things on TV, but I did sort of lean toward um, the kind of spooky stuff. Like my favorite movie as a kid was uh, Little Monsters with Howie Mandel, and I kind of became obsessed with it. And from that, it led into older, weirder stuff. And I started getting kind of interested in So Bad It's Good Things, but really my introduction to it was on YouTube, there was this clip making the rounds from this movie called Undefeatable. And I don't remember if it was called like best fight scene ever or worst fight scene ever. One of those kinds of labels like that. And they had this highlight of the scene. It's this ridiculous movie that's a martial arts movie um, by um, infamous uh, director Godfrey Ho. And the whole scene, it's got like um, martial arts legend Cynthia Rothrock and she's fighting in it and it's got these two dudes. One of them's got this epic mullet and they're fighting each other and it turns into this weird sweaty, oily shirtless thing. They're ripping their shirts off and one of them's licking blood off the knife. They're making crazy eyes at each other and it was this hilarious scene and I said, I gotta find this movie. I gotta watch this whole thing. Uh, So I ended up finding a download of it and watching it and this was maybe 2008 or something when this happened and um the whole movie is hilarious it's a great so bad it's good movie and around that time i was introduced through a forum that i was on um to a series of videos by uh someone called the nostalgia chick and she was part of an affiliate site called that guy with the glasses And when I went there, it was a lot of videos like what I do now, um, where they would uh, talk about movies of all kinds and do them in video form and basically just summarize them, make them funny, do some criticisms. And I was like, man, I want to see if I can do this. Like, this sounds really, really fun. And I always liked acting and doing drama. And I'm like, this is something I can do by myself. That would be really fun to do. And the only movie that I had on my computer at the time 
was undefeatable. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll just I'll just do this movie. This should this would be a good one. And I made a video and I decided that my niche, because everyone sort of had their own genre, it'd be like uh, this person does horror, this person does blockbusters, this person does, uh, you know, all these specific things. So I'm like, all right, I will do so bad it's good movies. And I did that. And I ended up doing uh, The Room, which is an infamously So Bad It's Good movie, and probably the most mainstream of the So Bad It's Good movies uh, in this genre. That also led me into discovering uh, Cynthia Rothrock, who she is, and I started reviewing lots of her movies, and that spun off into martial arts things. And uh, I don't know, eventually um, I ended up getting picked up by that site, and uh, that's a whole other story that's a, <laughs> that's a big, deep thing. But uh, eventually I started doing stuff on YouTube on my own. Uh, Ten years later, I'm able to do this uh, for a living. So you are officially like a YouTuber yeah, an influencer. <laughs> an influencer. I saw some of your uh, makeup tutorials. I enjoyed those. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. If anyone's not seen them, I don't want people to think I legit know how to do makeup. <laughs> They're probably the worst makeup videos out there. but uh... <laughs> Most entertaining, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I liked doing them watching things you know just kind of make fun of something silly while while doing a fun makeup because I, I realized pretty quickly like i like doing goofy things with makeup uh like i like dressing up but i'm not really like i'm not a skilled makeup artist so i'm like i, got, I gotta just make it funny <laughs> yeah those are those were good yeah i got fascinated by uh makeup tutorials for quite a while uh i think i like mostly the uh the drag queen ones because it starts off with just a normal looking dude and by the end you know she's so beautiful i would propose to her <laughs> i was really privileged to uh to have my makeup done by a drag queen oh wow because uh i don't know if um if you saw the video i did on barbed wire with uh james mansfield no i didn't see that one well james mansfield was on rupaul's drag race oh, and cool. she's really well known and uh, we decided to do a video together. Um, she's super cool and uh, volunteered to do my makeup for it. And so <laughs> I was done up as uh, Pamela Anderson. And uh, it was really great. Like I couldn't, I looked in the mirror and I didn't even recognize myself. Really, really skilled artist. And um, th this was not James's fault at all, but like, um, when I came over, uh, I didn't bring my own foundation, and my skin tone is like it's it's like toilet white, you know. It's <laughs> like I, I think so they call pale. it ivory, right? Ivory, yes. Mm. Um, and James is Hispanic, so like our skin tones are not the same. <laughs> so like the foundation on my face, it's like like a Barbie doll with the wrong head. Kind of thing. <laughs> it ended up being funny, so. <laughs> A magnum opus, the Casablanca remake nobody asked for. <laughs> it's gender swapped. That means it's progressive. Exactly. Progressive is the word I would be thinking of. I think it's the perfect depiction of the year 2017. Oh my God. <laughs> the year, I have it written down, the worst year of my life. You said it, sister. <laughs> the year was 2017, the worst year of my life. God. It was like Trump got elected and all the lights went out. We all lived in warehouses. But yeah, her makeup skills really, really great. That's awesome. I'm adding that to my uh, watch later list. Yeah, she's got her own YouTube channel and she does all sorts of makeup tutorials and wig stylings. And um, there's also a wrestling channel that she does. Oh, wow. That's interesting. 
I might go on a YouTube rabbit hole there. Yeah, that sounds like it's in your interest. I know you you like wrestling yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, I've been <laughs> recently got back into it. I uh, did some refereeing. I don't know how many events I did lately. Maybe four or so. And, oh man, um, you told me that Gangrel showed up to one of them. He did. That was so cool. I was like, uh, nice to meet you. I'm Al. He's like, I'm David. I was like, oh, now I know his name's David. That's cool. He was so nice. And uh, he watched the whole show. He brought one of his students. They booked one of his students and a uh, female wrestler. She was really good and really nice. Afterwards, they uh, like different people would go up to him. First, they went up to his student and said, is it OK if I ask him if I did OK? And she's like, yeah, he's cool. So then like they would like one by one go up to him and, you know, say, could you give me some tips or some criticisms and stuff? And he took time with every single person that asked him. And he was so, so nice. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. He runs a school, I think, on the other coast of Florida, the east coast of Florida. So he runs the school. Does he do any wrestling himself anymore? Or uh, I think he does shows here and there. The local independent shows, and usually that's how the th- they go. It'll be a whole bunch of young kids uh, starting out, and then one or two veterans that have you know been in the WWE and people recognize. They call them names because uh, it, it gets uh, other uh, fans in the door, not the hardcore independent wrestling fans, but like people that go, "Oh, I remember him from WWE. I'll, I'll go see him." You know, it's worth the ten bucks, fifteen bucks, whatever it is. Hey, cool. I'm supposed to be doing commentary uh, next show, so I'm excited for that. Ooh. Yeah, I think that's just because uh, he needs the equipment to record the uh, commentary, So, and I have the equipment. so. But I'm okay with that. This is the, whoever you're arranging it with, or this is... Yeah, uh, the, the promoter. Okay. Yeah, because uh, before they were using crappy mics on a laptop, like we all started out, I'm sure. Uh, but now I bring my whole soundboard and everything in the mics, and so they sound much better for the commentary on the on the matches. So you so you don't do commentary on all of them. What were you doing then? You were just calling matches? Oh, me? Yeah. I've been refereeing. Oh, you're refereeing. Okay. Yeah, which is fun. It's one of those things like every time I get there, I'm like, oh, why am I here? This is so, so much anxiety and I don't, I can't do it. I'm not going to be good at this. I suck at this. And why am I here? And then like uh, the ring announcer starts to get in the ring. I come out from behind the curtain and I'm happy and everything's fine and I do great. And then- I, I repeat the cycle over and over again. Do you have to do the thing where, like, you pretend not to see, you know, a heel doing something bad? Or? All the time. All the time. <laughs> and people people literally yell at me like, what is wrong with you? Turn around. You have to be able to hear that. Turn around. He's cheating. What are you doing? And I'm like, what? I can't hear you. What? You know, and, uh, I'm so easily distracted, you know. But so I do good. good. If you watch my videos of uh, the matches, I'm pretty good at uh, not seeing anything. I just I just want to see the weatherman come back. I want to see the weatherman come back. I'm hoping. I have two outfits to bring to the commentary. So I don't know. I got a nice suit uh, that I bought for a funeral once. And I, I have uh, <laughs> I have my weatherman suit. So I'm going to bring both and see what he wants me to wear during the commentary. So if, if it's the weatherman stuff, I might be able to get into character a little bit. If not, I don't know. Amazing. So I have fun doing that. You have like a, a pop culture enjoyment of wrestling, right? Not necessarily a wrestling fan, but you know of it. Yeah, it's all through osmosis, basically. <laughs> like I, um, my boyfriend's really into, well, he used to be really into wrestling. He's not into the current stuff. Um, but uh, so I know some of that stuff from him. Um, I also 
watch and listen to the uh, OSW video podcast and those guys talk about old school wrestling and they're really, really funny. And I, and I love learning about storylines and behind the scenes stuff. That's really interesting. I'm just not as interested in watching the actual matches. <laughs> mm. I have that thing about me where uh, I enjoy the people the performers and learning about them and watching the behind the scenes stuff more than I actually like the wrestling product. It's weird, but that's how my whole brain works. Like I like bonus features more than the actual feature sometimes. There's so much interesting stuff around wrestling. There really is like the, the, the people and the why and the how and silly gimmicks and how things came to be different matches and weird places and yeah, lots of interesting stuff. I got the WWE Network and they have the old shows from like the 80s, like where they had like sit down interview shows, but they're all like in character. And I'm watching those one night and uh, one of my trainers was actually on it. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. That it's on there. So it's, nice. it's fun. It's fun. I just did it to meet people, get out of the house and do things and get exercise because I don't really exercise because, you know, I don't feel good most of the time. But when I'm when I have 20 to 200 people watching me, I have to do my thing. So um, do you exercise? Are you an exercise kind of person? I don't know. No, not at all. No. I, I should exercise more, but me, I don't. I should. I'm a very sedentary person. Me as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to get a, the membership to the trampoline place because uh, Serenity has that. So she wants me to jump with her. So that's what I'm going to do next Wednesday, jump on trampolines. I don't know if that's hey. considered exercise or not. That's a good way to exercise. Mm, something to do. So how have you been? What's your life been like lately? I've been uh, busy. I've been uh, getting ready to go see my folks and planning crossovers and videos. And I just filmed a thing uh, with Chris and Matt today, actually, uh, oh, as wow. a Patreon bonus for the podcast. So how did that go? Cool. I think it went well. I, I like how it turned out. We'll see in editing. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Who, who's going to do the video editing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing the video editing. It's going to be a special movie nights thing. But uh, oh. we promised we were going to do it uh, when we filmed or when we recorded Glitter Rock uh, because uh, we were talking about Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we thought it'd be fun to do that as a movie nights thing. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I love Chris. Do uh, you like your uh, co-hosts on the QLP? Sure do. They're great guys. They are, they are pretty great guys. I like them. Chris is, uh, I'm a big fan of Chris. Always have been. He's a ridiculous rich person. <laughs> I think the funniest thing is when he gives updates, like he'll be like, oh, I'm out in Cancun today. Oh, I'm out ice fishing for fun. No, I'm I'm taking out my my little Bichon Frise dog. <laughs> I think my favorite one was I'm antiquing in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, just, it's not as bad what? as it sounds. I'm like, OK. I don't know. It's I'm happy for you. It's the fact that he's a rich person, but he also does a Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> I just love it. I love it. <laughs> Him and I went antiquing in Dallas, so that was fun. Cool. Yeah, well, this is when you guys were doing the um the thing for the the JFK podcast. Yeah, the eleven twenty two sixty three podcast. We uh we went to Dealey Plaza, Chris and Skipper, known as Skiptifer. 
and mm-hmm. and I and uh, we had a blast. We did a whole tour of the town and where Lee Harvey Oswald lived and where he worked, the book depository, the the museum. We went to a panel, I guess, or a speech from the uh, Secret Service agent that jumped up on the back of the of the president's car and got Jackie Downs before she got shot. All right, so just to give everybody a sense of place, when we say that we're in Dealey Plaza, like me, you might not really know what Dealey Plaza is set up like. I had really no clue what this area looked like before I got here. I'd only seen snippets of it in the movie with, you know, JFK in the limo through the scope or, you know, cuts from the Oliver Stone film. And I never really bothered to figure out where is the grassy knoll in relation to the school book depository in relation to the actual plaza. And as Skip and I are standing here right now, we're walking toward the book depository from Dealey Plaza proper. On our right here is Houston Street. Now, this is the street that the limo turned down as it was approaching the school book depository. And it was actually the street where people say, why didn't Oswald take the shot on this street? It's a much easier shot from the sixth floor window, which we are facing as we walk towards it. The limo came down on Houston. It made a sharp left turn onto Elm. Right on the corner of Houston and Elm is what was once the Texas School Book Depository. And as a matter of fact, as we look at it on site, the corner where Skip and I met is right across the street. And if you look up on the sixth floor, actually in the window of the depository where Oswald took his fatal shot, it looks like a video camera. And when you go up into the museum, you can actually see the view that Oswald would have had when he was taking the shot. Wow. So it was quite a quite a few days in Dallas, and uh, we had some downtime because uh, Skip brought his girlfriend. She's a really nice uh, lady. I think they're married now. And uh, so when they were doing couple things, uh, Chris and I did couple things like antiquing and going to different uh, restaurants and stuff. It was fun. Nice. It was cool meeting them. I, I love meeting like my online friends in real life. You know, eventually. Um, so did you get anybody to play the Kenny G game with you? No, I haven't yet. I don't. <laughs> Eventually, I want to play it with someone. The thing is, I spend a lot of time alone. So I end mm. up with a lot of board games, but no one to play them with. <laughs> but I'm like, I need I need this game. It was, um, I saw it on the shelf at Target. It's Kenny G keeping it sexy. Uh, you help Kenny G to deal with uncool situations, detangle his hair, avoid traffic. It just sounds amazing. That sounds so good. <laughs> uh, it, there's a whole like uh, new uh, wave of uh, retro type games coming with you know, like Golden Girls games, Brady Bunch games I see all the time. Yeah, there's a lot of things like the Golden Girls games and, and merchandise. There's a ton of Golden Girls merch. Yeah, I want figures. to get into it because I love it, but I've never seen the Golden Girls. So I need to see the Golden Girls first. But I have so many things to watch. I just never do. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's really good. I think it's on Hulu now, I want to say. I started watching it here and there again just because of the Golden Girls mania going on. Yeah, it's on my watch list. Uh, Designing Women's on there now, too, so I put that on my list. <laughs> Those are two shows that I watched when they originally aired that kind of betrays my age a little bit, I guess. Did you see the uh, Scott Bakula episodes of Designing Women? I'm sure I did, but I don't think I knew who he was at the time or didn't connect it or because it doesn't. Well, you know me and my memory, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my ma- I forget everything immediately. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I think this was pre-Quantum Leap. I think this was uh, mid-80s, so. Wow. And his things... hair was huge. <laughs> I've seen pictures, I know that. 
Was it a mullet? Uh, no, I think he just like, there was this thing about his hair in the 80s where he just did it like really, really high and gelled it up. Mm. Kind Moose, of a, I think, font. back then. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, how did we first meet? We first met because I was listening to the Quantum Leap podcast, and I believe the first interaction was me messaging you, or at least messaging the Twitter account, asking if you needed help uh, editing or doing some <laughs> sort of help anyway. I think I just said, like, if you need some help on the podcast. And yeah. you sent me the interview with, uh, I'm spacing his name, the magician. Oh, Cool. From the uh, from the great Spontini, uh, you did an interview with the uh, the mirror image from that, and so I d I edited that together and sent it over, and I think shortly after that was when I messaged you about the negatives from the the lost ending that I had found, and then that led to me being um, on the podcast and talking to you, and just kind of went from there. That's that, that was a that was a very uh, fortunate uh, set of circumstances, events, a series of fortunate events. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys were super excited, and I was excited, and I didn't have a lot of people to share it with. <laughs> but you guys, there's not a lot of people, uh, shall we say, obsessed with a 30 year old sci fi show <laughs> <laughs> that I, lasted five seasons. So <laughs> I think we know most of them and are friends with most of them. Yeah, probably. I think most of them contacted me after that happened. They're like, hey. You don't know me, but I love those. <laughs> I love that video. I love you put those negatives up, and that was that was really cool talking to to fans that have been there from the beginning. Because, I mean, see, I, I I started watching Quantum Leap like not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, maybe five years ago. I don't know how accurate that estimate is, but you know, there's a lot of people that have been fans for thirty years, and I jumped in there and then found those negatives. Um, I don't know if that, that makes it sort of gives my place in this fandom sort of unearned importance, maybe, because like I haven't been in it as long as a lot of people, but it's it's really cool to be able to talk to people that were fortunate enough to go to like the conventions, and uh, I, I really, really, really consider myself fortunate to be able to be involved with uh, occasionally some of the interviews and uh, consider Jean-Pierre Dorliac one of my friends now. Which is awesome, because he's awesome. He's really, really nice. Yeah, very like, cool we, guy. We'll text occasionally, and he's always uh, he always really wants to tell stories, and he's always got a lot of really juicy ones. <laughs> great storyteller. I recommend his book if you haven't read it. What's it called? Uh, the Naked Truth. Yes, great book. Read it cover to cover. Took me only a few days, which is highly unusual for me. It usually takes me forever to read. I think it's very fortunate that you did find those. I remember when you sent, sent us over those negatives and stuff, uh, we were all like losing our stuff because, you know, it just like changed the history of Quantum Leap really. And and that series of events led it to people finding the lost ending of Quantum Leap uh, yeah. that was actually filmed that all of us really thought was just like a crazy conspiracy thing that really didn't happen, but, you know, we thought it'd be nice if it happened, but it actually happened. So you were the catalyst for all that. So what what's that like to actually change the history of a fandom? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I couldn't believe it was real. I really like, you know, I've bought negatives for shows before, um, and I was hoping, you know, maybe I would see something like from a deleted scene or something like that, but I had no idea. What are the chances that something from the lost ending 
that was denied existing by the show creator for 30 years, just being in a random bit of negatives off of eBay. And this wasn't even like, they didn't list them there. Like they listed a, a few strips and uh, I just emailed the person who was selling them. Like, I'm like, hey, do you have any other ones from Quantum Leap? I'd be interested in purchasing them. They didn't ha even have those listed. Mm. So I got them as an, uh, in bulk. And this was someone coincidentally who I had bought from in the past that I'd also like uh, emailed about like, hey, do you have more of these things and then purchase them uh, from them that way. So it was just a, a weird set of circumstances that all just worked out. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, I, I don't think Quantum Leap is like as huge of a fandom as, as some other things, but the people that are still around, like, I'm, I'm grateful for those people and, and I'm really glad anyone who's uh, been happy to see that and see new things from something that's 30 years old that means so much to them. Just thinking about that, like if one day you didn't decide to watch Quantum Leap, uh, none of that would have happened. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just very, it just blows my mind sometimes when I think about it. So you're 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 uh, very well liked by the rest of the QLP people. Not only for that, but you know you're a great person. But the fact that you changed Quantum Leap history. Oh, thank you. Well, it's nice to have a mark uh, on the world, I guess. <laughs> We're not changed it, but changed our understanding of it? How would you say that? Well, it does change a little bit about about the ending. I mean, if you think about it, it, it um, confirms some things, I think, if you consider it canon. I mean, it is cut, so who knows, really, if, if it's considered part of it. But it's nice to know. I think part of the, the bummer of the quantum leap ending isn't so much that he decided to stay out there. It's because by him changing history, you don't really know, like, did Al ever really know him? Like, did this change their friendship? I mean, and if that, if that's the case, then that's really a bummer because a huge part of why the show worked so well was these two characters and, and their bond. And I think knowing that Al still remembered him, still knew him, whether or not he was going to go find him or not, I think was a nice comforting thought. Yeah, because the uh, time, especially on that show, is so malleable that like they do one thing different and, you know, Al disappears and it's Roddy McDowell. So, yeah. so Al losing all memory of their friendship and everything could have totally happened. Yeah. So I'm glad it didn't. Do uh, you, you think we'll ever see the space, space bar scene? Oh, man. I'm not convinced it was filmed, but... I believe <laughs> if, I mean, because we we saw the schedule for it, mm -hmm. I believe with something as elaborate as that and with as many costumes as they would need, they would probably have test Polaroids of costumes or set design or, or things like that, or even sketches. They had to have sketches. I would love to see those, but I'm not convinced they got to the point of actually filming it. Uh. It might be that that was canceled before they got to that point. It's all about the timeline. And Matt, Matt's really good about the timeline with that. Oh yeah. I, his book is uh, amazing. So many details that, and it's great to have just a catalog of them because I mean, I think that's part of the reason he made it. Like nothing stays in our brain. You know, you just have, like, it's nice to have a big catalog of mm. all the minutia. Yeah. Cause he remembers most of it, but then sometimes he has to refer to his own book to remember things. 
which I guess mm-hmm. all of us. But uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, you write as well, right? Uh, I've written some things. I'm, I haven't written a book or anything. I've written some chapters and forewords for other books for people, um, but uh, not a lot of writing. Uh, you're a podcaster? Yes, I'm a podcaster. On and off, I have uh, different podcasts that I do with uh, with my boyfriend, Phelan, on my YouTube channel. Um, they're uploaded as videos. Um, we occasionally do them on shows that are airing that we're watching. We did one on Supernatural. We did one on X-Files, Ash vs. Evil Dead. Currently, we're doing one on Charmed. Um, we did it on the Charmed reboot. It's called Charmed Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> and uh, we, um, we've been doing an offshoot of that called Charmed Rewind, where we talk about the original Charmed, um, mm. because uh, I did a series of videos on those uh, way back when. And uh, they're just a long, elaborate series of videos. It started with a 16-minute video on season one. And then by the time I got to season eight, it was like two hours long and uh, <laughs> ridiculous. And they're some of my most popular videos. So uh, we've been looking back at individual episodes of Charmed, just having fun goofing on them, goofing on the show. Um, it's a show that started out enjoyable and ended up being just a big trash fire. So a lot of it is us just <laughs> making fun of it. It's really fun to do that. We do that like once or twice a month, um, except with the... Um, the reboot series, which would be weekly when it's airing. I've also, I guessed on people's podcasts occasionally. I just recorded a couple episodes for Everyday Horror on Sci-Fi. Oh, so, yeah. nice. I've seen uh, some of your videos with your boyfriend, Phelan, and uh, you guys have a really good chemistry together, I think. Oh, thank you. We've been working together a long time. <laughs> so I had a thought the other day. Do you know that uh, poem, or is it a saying? It's uh, little slices of death, how I loathe them. My my guess is Edgar Allan Poe. I've been experiencing a weird thing lately. Watching Star Trek and, you know, understanding how the transporter works and how, um, like, basically you get copied, digitized, destroyed, and rebuilt. So every time you step into the transporter, you die. Yeah, create a new you each time. Yes, and, and usually the transporter kills you, but not always because, you know, Thomas Riker and all. But, and Tuvix... <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but uh, like I had a thought because uh, lately when I wake up from sleeping, like I still have all the memories that I had, but like I feel different about some things, almost like I know uh, part of dreaming and sleeping is uh, transferring your your um, short term memory into your long term memory storage. And that's why we dream is one of the theories. But, like, uh, there's also that other theory out there. Like, mathematically, it's more likely that we're in a computer simulation than so close to the ability to have a computer simulation of the world that we're probably in a computer simulation. And I feel like uh, when we sleep, it's like rebooting. And we we, uh, start off... And we load our personality again. That's why, like, the next day I'm like, why did I really do that? Or why did I commit to that? And now I have to do it and I don't want to do it. And past Albie is messing with me. And do you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I've heard that uh, your memories, each time you're remembering something, you're remembering yourself remembering it. 
Right. Which is why, like, it kind of becomes like a Xerox copy. You know, each time it can lose a little bit or become degraded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Replicative fading. about, like, being in a computer simulation, but, I mean, maybe maybe remembering it, you know, it does change your perspective a little bit. And mm. I think anxiety is probably part of that. Like, yeah. uh, I get anxiety, not anything diagnosed, but definitely have anxiety so everything that I look back at, even if it was a, a good interaction or productive thing or whatever, uh, instant regret, instant guilt. <laughs> so, you know, I can totally get like looking back. Why did I do that? Why am I? No. What? Did that really go that well? I don't know. <laughs> so it's more likely to be like uh, how we feel about what we remember than actually something completely different. Sure. I don't think we're in the matrix if that's what you're you're asking about. <laughs> I never thought that. I really never did. But like uh, some days I'll be driving around and I'll go like to three different towns, two different counties and see the same exact car in all three spots at the same times as me. And I'm like, what are the chances of that? You know, different different things like the in the matrix where the, you know, the cat goes back and forth or whatever. But like like different things, like uh, they've replicated different things. And par- follow me with my crazy ideas. <laughs> um, like uh, why flights take so long is because they're like building the new environment. You know, it's kind of like a loading screen. It could know. also be distance. It could. But you never know. <laughs> You're probably right. I, I wonder if that's like a, a psychosis or something. Maybe next time you're on a plane, you'll uh, you'll fall asleep and then wake up and then half the people disappeared. And it turns out you're stuck in a between time with all these little Pac-Man dudes eating time. And you're really going to be in trouble then. <laughs> but as long as, you know, you go back to sleep and then one person takes one for the team and you go through the, the big butthole in the sky, then eventually you're going to get back out and it's all going to be fine. Someone out there saw the Langoliers. I never watched the end of the Langoliers. Oh, stone cold bummer. Really? It, it ends It ends badly? <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, I mean, <laughs> there's a bad ending, but then there's also like, you know, an inappropriately happy freeze frame jump toward the camera part of the ending. So it, I guess it's not bad for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a, I saw it chapter two tonight, and that was a running joke about one of them was the, an author, uh, the guy from Break Unbreakable or Glass. What's his name? Oh, Bruce Willis? No. Um, the the bad guy in the new newest of those movies. Oh, I don't know. He was uh he, he plays a writer in, in the movie and uh every everywhere he goes, people are like, You're a great writer, but your endings suck. So that's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't there was a lot of like Stephen King in jokes and stuff and it was it was pretty cool. It was more of a comedy than uh than horror or drama. It was weird. One thing I've noticed about Stephen King features um a couple halloweens ago i i watched through a bunch of them just like a a bunch of adaptations of stephen king things and uh a lot of them do have really bummer endings and uh i i do enjoy horror a lot but i tend to enjoy the stuff where it's more like supernatural with some heroes you know something you got to root for like i don't really like bummer things like it's just, i like things where it's like you got to fight a monster but someone's gonna make it out in the end yeah but uh stephen king's really good at at getting to horror as a metaphor for other things and really digging into people mm. 
Yeah, it was. This was well, well written. I, I I don't think he wrote the screenplay, but of course it was inspired by the book. I think I haven't read the book it because it's just way too thick and intimidating. Yeah, he didn't write the script. I think the only one he, well, at least the only one he directed was Maximum Overdrive, and I I think he did the script for that one. Mm. I think there was there might have been one other one. He didn't he didn't write the scripts that much. I loved uh, 112263 so much. Uh, like I read it once uh, with my eyes and multiple times with my ears. So like I started like getting other Stephen King books and I tried to get into them and I never could get into any of the other ones, even though I liked like his miniseries and movies based on his books. You should read uh, his novella, Cycle of the Werewolf, because it's very short. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's I like my level. <laughs> that one. That's the the basis for the movie Silver Bullet. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I love Silver Bullet because I love werewolves. It's got Gary Busey, Corey Haim, uh, rocket powered wheelchair, um, Ed from Twin Peaks. I forget the name of the the girl in it, but she uh, I liked her a lot. She was Anne of Green Gables. Hmm. Silver Bullet. I think I saw a VHS copy of that. So that's how long ago. <laughs> it's um it's not the best werewolf movie but it's an enjoyable movie i think and uh yeah cycle of the werewolf he wrote it and uh, cycle of the werewolf i mean it's it's very very short and it's it's not even really the the story of the movie is made up for the movie the rest of it's just sort of like a town and a werewolf shows up and some really gruesome um illustrations mm. but that's uh, i think the only stephen king book that i own is that one i think i started to read dream catcher mm. but i didn't finish it i did see the movie though did you ever uh listen to skip defer talk about all the different stephen king things i listened to a bit of skip's podcast on i think it was salem's lot is that the one with the vampires Maybe. I, I haven't seen that one. Whichever is the one with the vampires. I listened uh. to a bit of that. I saw that uh, during my Stephen King marathon. It's one of those things where it's got lots of really iconic imagery, but I wish it wasn't a miniseries. I wish it was just movie length. And I think there is a movie version of it that is cut down, which I think would benefit it a little bit. Sometimes things are too long. I, I think they need to bring back the intermission, especially with these like Avengers Endgame. And even tonight, it was so damn long. Uh, oh, man. It part two, like the last oh, yeah. 30 minutes, I'm like in pain because I drank three of the extra large sodas. I, I got so refills. little patience for uh, movies that are over two hours long. I see a two hour runtime and I'm like, oh, my God, please have mm -hmm. mercy it's yeah. it's so very very rarely something that holds my attention for the entire two hours even if it's a good product i just i feel like they need to edit at least if it's called a mini series like i understand more if you're mm -hmm. calling it a movie like it had better be like hour and a half hour 40 that's yeah. the ideal length for me yeah because I, I i go pee like you know i time it out because local our local theaters have 15 minutes of previews exactly so i know 10 minutes after the preview started, you know, go pee. And then by the time I get back, the movie will start in a little bit. And so I have the better chance of making it all the way through because I hate, you know, missing part of a movie. Tonight, I was kind of, I kind of convinced myself that maybe I should just watch movies at home from now on because the movie theater was packed. I forgot it was Friday night. 
and it was packed with kids that were on their phone. I'm going to sound like an old man. Get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> the They're all on like Facebook and Instagram and they're talking all amongst themselves. I don't even know if they know each other and they're screaming and just joking around. And it was just like, it was like being in a, like a school assembly. If there wasn't a teacher or a principal there, I don't know. It was so weird. And I just felt old because I was like, I just want to watch the movie. And then on top of that, I couldn't pee. I guess I could, <laughs> but it would have been messy and weird, but like not in the theater, you know, no, <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe I'm just old. I don't know. Usually I go to the, my local theater, which is in Cape Coral here. And, you know, it's a retirement town. So mostly everybody in there is gray hair and they just sit quietly and watch the movie. But for some reason, all three screens that were playing it tonight had already started and it was too late to catch it. So we went to one in Fort Myers and maybe that was the difference. More of a party town. Yeah, I I mean, I don't go to the movies very much because I I don't like going alone. And uh, it takes a lot to get me out of the apartment at all, really. Mm. So, I mean, I don't don't usually, but I don't like going to really crowded screenings either. I think the worst screening I ever went to was uh, when that movie The Bye Bye Man came out, (laughs) which was a... (laughs) terrible horror movie that everyone was making fun of like don't say his name and uh, the bye-bye man it sounded so silly there was a a meme going around like the they changed the poster like poo poo pee pee man or something (laughs) don't say it um not a very good movie but um you know when you when you go to a movie and the previews are on and the like the the little things the ads before these the previews start usually people are talking through that and even through mm-hmm. the the previews for movies and then once the film starts they'll quiet down and that's fine but this was because it was a PG-13 horror movie full of like middle schoolers that they were talking through all of the previews and then just didn't stop like they just kept through the whole thing and then like they were talking over the movie and making their own jokes and like screaming and yelling and just being the most obnoxious people in the world and uh it was so bad that they ended up like police ended up coming and then the theater was handing out free passes to people <laughs> for other movies it was bad <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, my night started out with the woman behind me tapped me on my shoulder and she said, I'm sorry, I talked the whole movie. If you if you need me to shut up, just raise your hand and I'll try. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy. She was nice about it, I guess, but ugh, I don't know. I'm just old, I guess, right? Is that is that it? Because there was more people talking during the movie than there wasn't. So it, it, The more annoying ones are like... um. I don't go to the movies that often, but I every once in a while I'll go to the the Riffs Tracks live that mm, they do. Love those. Which is, you know, if anyone enjoys Mystery Science Theater, Riff Tracks is uh, hosted by some of the guys from that. And they do like live uh, streams of some of their movies. And uh, but it's terrible because most of the people in the audience are mystery science theater fans who love riffing movies and it's great when you're with friends that's what i do i talk over movies all the time like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna watch a movie with me i'm gonna be talking over it (laughs) but when you're in the theater and you're trying to watch people be funny there's nothing that is less funny than other people that are not professional joke makers trying to do their own jokes over the movie (laughs) yeah it's like no (laughs) So what's your best worst movie and what's your worst worst movie? 
the best worst movie is probably The Room. It's kind of an obvious answer because uh, it's gotten famous with the disaster artist and all that. But The Room is genuinely a really good starter movie for So Bad It's Good stuff um, because it's it's the most palatable, I think. Um, it was it had a really good uh, DP on the movie, so it looks like a movie, which you can't <laughs> say about a lot of so bad it's good movies. It sounds like a movie, you know, like so it, you can clearly see and hear what's happening. It's shot pretty competently, hmm. um, but it's bizarre because it's this vision Tommy Wiseau came up with that's like this weird version of the world that is not the world. It's not how people act it's not how people talk it's not how the world works um and it's this perfect storm of just silliness that um is very quotable so that that's a really good so bad it's good movie see the the worst movie i've ever watched i think still has to be uh jerry jerry um it was a, it was a gus van sant movie mm-hmm. i saw this a long time ago it was uh Anyway, it doesn't matter who it stars. It's not a very good movie. Um, (laughs) I get what they were trying to do with the movie. Gus Van Sant, I find uh, kind of a pretentious filmmaker. I Mm. I don't really like pretentious things. So a lot of like art, very artistic stuff, very um, art house films or things like that. Like, I I don't like it. I don't like interpretive stuff. It's Mm. not my bag. Uh, but if someone else is into it, that's their own thing. But personally, it's it's not my thing. Um, This one... Jerry is a movie about two guys who get lost in the desert and they're wandering through the desert for an hour and a half. Almost sounds like Ishtar. And no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, if I'm making it sound like anything happens in the movie, I've done it a disservice because it's literally like next to no dialogue. They're wandering in the desert. There is a, an unbroken seven minute shot of them just walking away from the camera no dialogue wow that's it the the whole movie is just it, it's supposed to give you the feel of being lost in the desert so the <laughs> the, the name of the movie jerry g-e-r-r-y it's jerry like the the walking not jerry like a name ah. and uh i mean i could summarize the movie in like one sentence two guys get lost in a desert one of them dies the other one gets picked up the end <laughs> that's the whole thing it's the most boring pretentious stupid movie he filmed it in like four different deserts but why did he bother for this i hated it it's it's not a, a reviewable movie i don't like to to review movies i just hate because there's just nothing to talk about it, it's now on my on i'm fascinated by it but i don't know if i want to torture myself with it but maybe i do want to torture myself with it list you could put it on in the background. It'd be kind of like those, uh, those like fake fireplaces you put on. You know, <laughs> uh, I do that all the time. All the time. It's not one I can recommend. It's it's genuinely just like the most unenjoyable movie I've ever had the displeasure of seeing. Do you ever think while you're watching these movies, like I could do a better job? But do you ever feel like you want to be a movie maker one day? I know you're uh, an actor, but do you ever want to be a filmmaker or or think that would be something fun for you? No. No, I don't want to be a filmmaker. I don't consider consider myself a filmmaker. I'm not great on the technical end. I know that. I've been doing this for 10 years now, but I still have weaknesses. And 
I don't know. I just like I like acting and I like talking about movies and I like creating fun videos. I like making people laugh, but I wouldn't really want to create a short or or stuff like that. Like I'm not big on the technical end of stuff, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. I, I mean, I do like, I know I said I wasn't a writer before, but I do like writing some stuff. I've written one or two scripts, very not uh, filmable things, but, <laughs> you know, I've, I've written some stuff. I like storytelling. I've written some fan fiction, That's you know, awesome. so I like that, but I, I don't, I don't like getting behind the camera and, and telling people what to do. I'm not very assertive in that way, I think. Mm. Well, like every generation has like their new medium. And I think the medium of today is YouTube. I know kids today would rather watch something made by someone at home on YouTube than something made by a multi-billion dollar studio for some reason. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that I think YouTube has, has moved on a little bit so that there is some quality control, at least if, if you're going to make it in any way. But when I started doing videos, this was 2009. I was 19. And uh, and YouTube was not as big of a thing. 2009 was, I think, like three years after YouTube started. It was, it was that far back. And it was like the Wild West. And uh, I was uh, posting videos to a site called Blip TV, which doesn't exist anymore. It got absorbed by Maker, which got absorbed by Disney. And then I, I don't <laughs> even know what they're doing anymore. So would you technically be a Disney princess then? <laughs> well, I'm not part of it. I, I, once Disney absorbed it, uh, I wasn't part of it anymore, and ah. it's—I don't think it's even a thing anymore. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> but when we were doing stuff on Blip TV, this was me and a bunch of other people on the aggregate site I was on. Um, it had less restrictions about YouTube. Um, YouTube was harder to deal with back then because, as difficult as it is to deal with copyright stuff now. Um, Back then, there was just no way to fight it or to do anything about it. So Blip TV was nice, and there was so little competition. And if you look back at my videos from back then, they're like the technical qualities garbage, garbage. And everyone <laughs> starts out being garbage. So like Absolutely. all of us were kind of bad. But I I think if I had started that way now, uh, I would just not be able to garner the kind of attention that I did back then. It was just mm. very lucky that it happened then. Perfect timing kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, they say you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Sure. I think everyone, like, and I don't mean that to be discouraging, saying, like, you know, you got to start out at the top because no one starts out that way. Like, if you want to get into video making, podcasting, any sort of entertainment, you're going to be bad when you start. You just are. And that's with any craft. You're going to be bad because you don't know it yet. But if you keep going at it and it's something that you're really passionate about, um, you can hone your craft and get better as you go. So you just have to start somewhere. Yeah, I heard uh, on one of the podcasts I edit, someone said, if you're not embarrassed by the stuff you made while you started out, then you haven't improved any. Yeah, no, there's some people... Um, that I don't want to call out uh, that they're, they've been doing videos for a long time and the videos they're making now are not that different from what they were making then. And it's just so unevolved. And it, when you feel like you've time traveled back to 2008 videos, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I still haven't been able to find my niche of a good creative outlet that really I enjoy. The Quantum Leap podcast was it for me until... 
the hosts of the show didn't want to work together any longer. So mm-hmm. then, and I, I got very lucky that one time, but I don't know where to go from here. I know I've talked with you about it several times, like trying to figure out what I can do that I'll enjoy that other people might enjoy, but I'm still searching for that thing. It's hard. It's hard to find your own niche, something that you're passionate about and that you've got your own voice and is not being covered by other people mm. or not being covered in the way that you want to or could. Mm. Maybe that kind of thing just happens once and it happened and move on or whatever. I don't know. You know what? Like you are, you know, what I liked about the Quantum Leap podcast when you were hosting it, like you looked at it from a very optimistic human point of view. You know, you talked about uh, things that you learned or things that could be learned from it or, or different uh, historical things or um, what makes people people and, and, uh, you know, I think that lends itself well to other podcasts or other mediums. Like if you choose to do video or other things like that, like, you know how to talk to people just about things about life. You're in like my 4am club. I don't know how many people are in your 4am club, but you're the only person in my 4am club. Every, Cause you, you're like me. We're working all night, every night and the whole rest of the world is asleep. Yeah, there's only a few people that are usually up this late, uh, and it's uh, usually people international in other time zones. <laughs> <laughs> We're the only crazy ones in the yeah. U.S. Yeah, um, you know I like the evening though, because then there's that there's that no responsibilities time. You know, like I do use it to do editing because I, I tend to be like, oh, it's such a nice day. I'd hate to be editing right now. I'll do something else. But then I don't get any editing done. And so like later I'll, mm-hmm. I'll try and make up for that and, you know, do more editing. But um, mm-hmm. there's like that period of time where it's like super late or it's like there's no obligations going on. There's no one around. There's no chance someone's going to knock on your door. You, you just sort of chill for a little bit and exist in that weird period of time. A quieter time. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why I enjoy it. I've always been a night person. I, I never really enjoyed early morning. No, I've never ever. been a morning person. I think the worst the worst is when you get up and it's like really cold and the sun's not up yet and you got to do something. Go outside. You look and the sun's just starting to come up. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the sun ever coming up. It's usually up when I wake up. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. I never... I've been up late enough, though, I guess, to see the sun come up. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's usually thing. when I see the... Com- but I ain't, I ain't going outside. Yeah. None of that. That's That takes me back to, like, school field trips. You know, like, go and then, like, get on the bus and it's early in the morning. Yeah. And, ugh. Gotta go to a choir concert or something. <laughs> My high school principal was always like, how come you're late for school every day? I'm like, because you start too damn early. I can't wake up on time. And plus, I took the uh, the city bus. I didn't take the school bus because they weren't air conditioned. And it's like 105 out. Yeah. So I took the city bus. And they didn't start running until like nine, eight or 9 in the morning. And high school, you had to be there at 7, something stupid, ridiculous in the morning. Uh when I went to college, I had a, a drama scholarship, and I went to the oh, community wow. college, and uh, I just did it to say that I did it. Like, I got a fine mm-hmm. arts degree, but I knew that I liked acting and entertaining and 
stuff like that. And that's something like you don't need a degree for, to be honest. Like, I mean, there's some things that I did there, but everything I learned, at least in those courses, were any sort of thing that you could learn in high school drama. It, it wasn't really anything new. So a lot of the things I would do mm. was just anything in the fine arts program, like art things or um, or graphic design things or other like I took a course called color that I just took online. It was the easiest <laughs> thing in the world. So, I mean, but that was just like a personal thing. Um, anything that I'm doing now, it, it wouldn't I could have dropped out in high school and still be doing the same thing. Mm. A lot of uh, famous actors are uh, dropouts. Yeah. Did you have any favorite plays you did while you were in the theater classes? Um, I liked doing Brigadoon. That was one of my first ones. I got to play the town harlot. I did that in like freshman year high school. And uh, Brigadoon's fun. It's like a musical about um, a Scottish town that appears out of the fog once every hundred years and these two guys stumble across it and fall in love and all sorts of uh mishaps happen and uh i'm the the town harlot who goes around trying to get with the uh the comic relief sidekicky guy so i gotta <laughs> sing a lot of really fun songs um comedically and uh they had me stuff my bra and made like my boobs really big for the part <laughs> Uh, that was fun to do. Um, I probably had a very terrible Scottish accent. I know we listened to <laughs> these CDs to like help us get Scottish accents, but I am sure it was really, really bad. <laughs> Is it on video somewhere? Oh, it, you know, it was filmed. Video of it oh, might wow. exist. I might have a tape somewhere buried <sighs> away, but I, I mean, you could barely hear it too because it's, yeah. you know, filmed in, gosh, that had to have been... 2006 maybe when that was filmed oh wow so probably vhs c maybe or yeah oh yeah it's on a vhs tape i think that's yeah. something i would watch <laughs> i can't believe i haven't seen brigadoon i don't know i always thought that was a world war ii movie so i got that totally wrong oh no no brigadoon's okay, fine yeah i like doing that we did high school musical oh that's awesome and i was one of two characters that didn't sing or dance which was actually kind of <laughs> nice because i didn't want to learn the choreography yeah. I love singing, but I hate dancing because I'm not good at it. <laughs> D did you ever have the dream of going to Broadway and doing that whole thing? No, no. I don't think I'm good enough for Broadway. But the, I mean, like, I, I'm an all right singer. I like singing, but um, I can't do the dancing. Broadway is, like, really, really tough. You'd have to really mm. put yourself out there. It's kind of the same with all acting, I think, and things in the industry. Like, I, I don't think I'm competitive enough for that i don't take rejection very well so i i kind of like the niche that i've found you know just carving out for myself that's true if people love you for what you're doing why change it if you're enjoying it if you're happy yeah and some people i don't know like i wouldn't want to be i think some people aspire to be really famous or oscar winning actor or director or, mm. you know get in rub elbows with the famous or whatever and i don't I'm not a good enough liar to be a good actress, if that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> totally. Totally it does. You seem like a very honest person. Oh, thank you. I, I think very, I'm probably too honest is, has been sort of a fault of mine. But um, I just don't, I don't like being phony about stuff. And I, I respect people who are really good at their craft, but I'm just not. And mm. I think like part of that just bleeds into real life uh, when you get into the elite in, in the industry. And it just is part mm. of what it is and um i don't know I, I just have too much anxiety about stuff like 
Mm. Every single interaction I ever have, I'm going to remember something stupid about it. And anytime I've talked to anyone in an interview or any anyone who's sort of famous, there's one thing I'm going to think about forever, and it ruins really? everything in my mind. I, so. Yeah, that happens to me yeah. sometimes. But I pretty much warn people ahead of time, look, I'm an idiot. I, I forget things. I'm trying my best. So I kind of prepare them that I'm going to screw up somewhere. Or, or like I'll make a joke and go like, oh, so that was you totally weren't in that. OK, well, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> You're good at picking things up, I think, like in, in continuing the conversation. So I think that's really good for interviews because you always have good topics for people and uh, and keeping the conversation flowing. One of my favorites, I think, was J.G. Hertzler. He was so fun. Yeah. He seemed so nice and enthusiastic. And yeah, happy and cool. And he called me about three times and I called him about three times like while he was trying to figure out a place that was quiet enough and where he could talk and, you know, for quite a while. And uh, the, the the whole thing, I think, I want to say like Chris said something to me one time. He's like, uh, or somebody did. And they were like, uh, the f- best part of the interview is like two minutes in. And he's like, I don't remember anything about Quantum Leap. So then we just talked about <laughs> everything else for like two hours. So like I just threw away my <laughs> my notes and I was just like, okay, well, I'm talking to a Klingon, dude. This is pretty awesome. So. Yeah, I think like if you're in Star Trek, no one's going to let you forget anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like they're going to be like, you remember that one time in this episode and this line and this thing and this detail and this thing? <laughs> like, All right, I guess. <laughs> I, I I did do that to Scott, I I think towards the end of the interview when I started talking about like, was it his body or was it not his body? And how did that work? And <laughs> in one episode, like you, you're, you were floating with, without legs. And then in another episode, and he was like, yeah, um, it's a TV show <laughs> kind of thing. You know, I don't find that concept that confusing, though. Like, I can understand from someone who's a casual fan of Quantum Mm -hmm. Leap being like, how does this work? I don't understand Mm -hmm. it. But, like, I don't get why Chris is so confused about it either. (laughs) Like, he always argues about it. And it's like, look, if they outright state it in an episode, this is how it works, then that's how it works, right? Like, I've never seen anything that contradicts that it's his body. No? Sometimes the wording on the lines is weird, but nothing contradicts it. Maybe the... The pregnancy thing. I don't know. No, that's the episode where they state that it's his body, though. I think that's why it confuses people. Yeah, because... You know, they say that, like, it's his body and they just see the aura around it. So why is he getting all these pregnancy symptoms? And that's what's unusual about it. So that's where... That's the first time they ever firmly establish that that's what it is. Maybe they shouldn't have put the belly on him. That's where I get confused. They didn't put a belly on him. They didn't? No. Oh, Mandela effect. He he wore one behind the scenes. Scott Bakula did oh. to get into character, like to to really experience it and and figure out how to walk and and feel and you know understand where a pregnant woman is coming from. Mm-hmm. But they didn't put the belly on him because it wasn't his body. I but then it gets into whole, all sorts of other confusing things. It's like, how is he going to give birth if he's a man in a man's body? And is it just a magic vagina? It just doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> Scott, it's, if Scott Bakula had a vagina, it would probably be magic because he's pretty magical. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, There was some interview I was reading with him not that long ago where someone was asking him about, like, if they were doing Quantum Leap today, would it be not a white guy like would it have to like are we at the point where it doesn't have to be a a white man experiencing these things for the audience you Mm -hmm. know and it was interesting like he was talking about it and like he seemed very like 
cool with it. You know, there's some people, I think, of an older generation, which it feels weird to say, but he is in his 60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, like, are not, like, they're like, I don't get this Me Too movement and everything's politically correct and whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's always just seemed very chill and open and and kind, kind to people. Yeah. And he has a magic vagina. And he has a magic vagina, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just always seems very chill, very cool. Did you ever get to meet him or talk to him yet? No. Gosh. Uh, You know, the last time I was talking to uh, my best friend, Jean-Pierre Dorliac, he asked me, he's like, have you ever talked to Scott? And I was like, no, no, I haven't. And I got really scared because I just, I'm just terrified of meeting anyone. I'm just terrified. I don't know if I, I would never seek this out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't seek it out because I just, they say don't meet your heroes. And I don't say that like in a way like he would turn out to be awful. I just mean like, I just, unless there's a reason to, I just, I'm, I'm not, I can't. <laughs> there comes a time in everybody's life when they are no longer around. Uh, what would you like friends and family to know some kind of, thought or knowledge or philosophy that you have that you don't want to be lost to the sands of time some some kind of statement to leave behind man i don't even know (laughs) it's such a big thing to ask it is i just thought of it i don't know i think like this is gonna sound cynical but i mean this in a uh an endearing way uh everything is kind of stupid hmm Everything is kind of stupid, so don't take things too seriously. Like, be sincere, but, I mean, life isn't worth getting too caught up in everything, and and everything is not as serious as it seems. I like that. I like that. Kind of like, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. I like that. Not everything is a situation. Yeah. That kind of thing. Okay, cool. Uh, Now, here comes the part where I ask you to recommend a movie, a book, an album, and an episode of Star Trek. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Movie. I-Man. 1986. Made for TV. Pilot. Starring Scott Bakula. Must see. Book. Book. Oh, well, it's got to be the the Quantum Leap book by Matt Dale. (laughs) I think he recommended your... Beyond the Mirror Image, yeah. Beyond the Mirror Image. I think he recommended your YouTube channel, so there might be some uh, synergy going on there. Did (laughs) he? Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, he's awesome. Is that what the next thing is, Uh, a YouTube channel? Yeah, what what YouTube channel would you like to recommend? Okay, either either Phelous, which is my boyfriend's, and he reviews old cartoons or horror movies or bootleg toys... Or uh, Mike Jevons, he does infomercialism and week ons, which are really good. Like he talks about infomercial products in funny ways or tries different fad diets. Oh, wow. He's an old friend of mine. Really funny, really interesting. And he's uh, probably the first person who noticed my work and, and got attention out there for me. So really, really good guy. Nice. Recommend an album. The album. Anything by Talking Heads. I really like mm. them. Hmm. And the last one is an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Gosh, I've been making my way through Star Trek. I don't know about a single one, though. Oh, The Ascent from Deep Space Nine, the one where Odo and Quark are stuck on a mountain and they just bicker forever. 
I like that one. I love that one. I love that one. Yeah, that's very like same genre as like Shuttlepod One. And did they do other ones like one per series of that? I'm trying to think if they did one of those for uh, next gen. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did, but it's not coming to the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, those are great kind of. I'm not sure if um, Ascent really counts as a bottle episode because they are doing like outdoor shooting and like going uh, different places, but it definitely is a very character based thing. And I just I love those and I love survival situations and I love uh, love hate relationship Mm. characters. And those two are exactly that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're great together. They really are. But yeah, that's a great episode. That's a good recommendation. You and I differ on uh, Enterprise, our thoughts on it. You know, I recently rewatched it, and I feel like I came mm-hmm. off thinking of it better, but I'm still very mixed. I don't know. It, 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 the first three seasons of Enterprise, the first two more so, um, mm-hmm. are not very good. I, I just don't think that it's very good Star Trek, and part of that's like fatigue. Part of it is because I think it's just very mean and, and mm-hmm. sexist. Like, it's... All the characters are very, like, they bicker a lot and and not in a fun way. Like, they're all kind of mean and it's treated like they're heroes. Um, Archer's very uh, terrible to to Paul and very racist. And they don't treat it as, like, a lesson moment. The stuff with Paul I find a little bit gross. Which isn't to say that there isn't good stuff in it. I know I'm being very, Mm. very negative about it. But um, season three was starting to be better um i didn't like the the 9-11 allegory stuff because it's just not like my favorite genre but i i did like that there was like a purpose going forward with it which i think they Mm -hmm. really needed and the characters like had a reason to be so cynical about stuff there was Mm -hmm. a story there and and growth and by the time they got to season four uh, season four is actually good i agree season four like had new showrunners and they had um more of an idea in mind what they were going to do fresh blood uh people that really loved star trek and i feel like it was um building the characters up a lot more the mini arcs were really successful i think Mm. i feel like it should have gotten more seasons and it would have been more fondly remembered what do you think of the finale a lot of people hate it (laughs) uh well it's funny. Um, the finale's not good. Mm. The finale's not good. And it's not just because like they, they turned it into a, a Next Generation episode, mm. which I think was really not fair because season four was good. They were going really good places. Mm-hmm. But because they brought back in Berman and Braga to do it, and they had been removed from the show by that point. Mm. And uh, I mean, they've been involved in Good Trek because they've been a lo- around for a long time. Oh, but absolutely. I feel like a lot of the worst aspects of Voyager and Enterprise were them. I feel like they just sort of either they surrounded themselves by yes men and just got stuck in their own ideas or they just had kind of like gross ideas that they, they just kept pushing forward. But when the finale came around, they'd had such a great run in season four without them when they brought them in to write the finale all of the writing seemed very out of character and weird Mm. like outside of the Riker stuff when you just look at like the characters talking to each other in the story portion of Enterprise it just felt like a weird step back do you think it would have been a better episode if it wasn't the series finale like it was just a one-off like mid-season no Well, I think it would have been a goofy episode. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, like, it would feel less disappointing 
if it wasn't the finale. I don't think the actors were that pleased with it being the finale oh, either. Oh, yeah, because, no one was. I mean, it, if you're going to do wh- whatever people think of Enterprise, like, you really need to give the show the the respectful ending that it deserves, like, for the people involved. I know when they did the Voyager finale, they were tearing the set apart as they were filming <laughs> yeah. it, and it just felt like they there was no care there you know like they're like all right let's just get this done and they had spent seven years creating this yeah and the actors aren't it's not their fault like uh, if a show is bad or mm. or and i i mean there were good parts to voyager as oh, well I, but, love voyager. I, I, I have that problem where i love all of star trek it's hard for me to see the bad in it anywhere even though i agree with your points i mean i was i was coming at it hard i would still rewatch. Voy- or not well Voyager too, but um Enterprise. Like I, I love Scott Bakula enough. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't care and <laughs> like if it's bad. I watch a lot of bad things, so <laughs> I can get over it. There there's like one or two episodes I think are are kind of like irredeemable, mm. but for the most part, like I can enjoy it. I just don't think it's good. I th- I think that was my thing with Enterprise. Like I watch anything with Scott Bakula in it with like hearty eyes. Like my pupils turn to hearts, and you know <laughs> I'm just like uh, I lo- I love seeing him in it. I'm glad that he got to do Star Trek. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Like and like I think once his character in season three, he really started to come into his own. Mm. I think they just they needed to find who his character was, and it, it, the first couple seasons they just they weren't finding it. Mm. You think a, a finale would have been okay if they had brought more people from other Star Treks in, like like say Captain Kirk from, you know, after he got brought back by the Borg and the Romulans, uh, and you know some people from Voyager and some people from Deep Space Nine, and like it was a big huge thing, like because I think that's what they're trying to do, like say a farewell to all of the current at the time era of Star Trek, but they only had Riker and Troy, which are great people both the actors and the characters. But to do that, I think they should have had like as many people there as possible, maybe. But also give Enterprise a, a proper ending of themselves. No, I think um, I, I'm feeling the opposite way. I think it shouldn't have had anything to do with any other series. I think that was the big downfall is it felt more like this is an episode of Next Generation than this is a send-off for Enterprise. It felt like you are the redheaded stepchild in any way. Here's something more popular. Oh, yeah, I could see that point. I could see that point. I know uh, they had tried to get Shatner on for an episode. Did you ever read up about that? No. What, oh, what did they try to they do? They had a story written where this was the Kirk brought back from the dead from the William Shatner novels timeline thing. With the Borg thing? Yeah. And uh, he was gonna like it was gonna be huge, and uh, I forget where I heard it. it. May have been a commentary, or it might have been an interview. But like uh, he had a certain price, and they couldn't meet it, so they never did it. Really, yeah, so such a shame. It's interesting to think of them doing that. Yeah, but it, w- it w- when I heard it, it would be amazing. And that's I hear some rumors now and about uh, Shatner doing something, one last thing in the in the Trek universe. So. Hopefully they actually do that. Mm. That'd be cool. I don't, I don't know if I came off overly negative here. <laughs> I, I think like I've come to the the acceptance recently uh, of calling myself a Trekkie officially. Oh, wow. Because I've watched enough of it. I've watched all You've of watched it now. All, oh, you watched um, all of Discovery now too? Yeah, I've watched all of Discovery now. Thoughts. And like, 
I can't say I'm not a Trekkie. I'm rewatching Next Generation. Wow. Like, I'm a fan. I couldn't really tell you a lot of specifics. I can't remember a lot of techno jargon or names of ships and planets and stuff. I'm not great with that, but... Um, hey, yeah, you know names of episodes. Now. That's something. That's awesome. Welcome to the club. Well, thank you. It's a nice club to be a part of. It's nice to be a part of something that has a fandom. <laughs> I always become fans of things that have like, you know, 20 people left that remember it. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of the internet now, because those 20 people can all find each other. True. Star Trek's great. I, I don't mean to come off overly negative. I think there's really great stuff in Enterprise, too, if I'm going to give it like some credit here. You know, I really liked the episode Twilight. I think that's what it was called. The one where... um. Yes. Where Archer keeps he can't reform new memories. That's a great episode. And they have to cure yeah. they have to cure his current condition in the past because the chronotons are flowing backwards or something or Yeah. Something. That was a really good character piece yeah. for him and T'Pol. I really I really shipped T'Pol and Archer. So when she ended up with Tucker, I kinda even though I love Trip, I'd kinda was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh what do you think about uh trip at the in the final episode what do you think happened there uh i believe people said he went out like a bitch <laughs> i think that's what happened uh i i have no connection to uh, tucker's character really? um I, I i find him amusing mm. uh, let's just say i think they got better near the end um but i didn't like what they did with the romance storyline with him and to paul because it started out with like the massage storyline and i found that very gross and sexist mm -hmm. so it, it already really turned me off mm -hmm. but um well, one thing i kind of do when i'm watching a show especially when i'm having a tough time with in the beginning of enterprise is uh me and phelan will usually come up with just sort of characters for people uh, like our own versions of them mm -hmm. and just go with it you know like this makes more sense anyway so you know um when archer is uh, going around like ah vulcans were mean to my dad and i hate them and they're stupid uh trip was always the one that was kind of like um kind of like the little guy in star wars that hangs out with like uh, boba fett you know? <laughs> he's kind of like that like and hey, it's a good and captain <laughs> tell those vulcans what's what <laughs> so he sort of became just like the kiss-ass sidekick guy <laughs> and uh and that was more most of the amusement i got from him he, he did come into his own i think the storyline with him and his sister was yeah. uh, pretty well done um, but like, I had no feelings about his character dying. I had no real attachment to him. Mm. Well, I think, uh, he came back to life and, or didn't really die. It was a section 31 kind of thing. Something. That's what. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. That's what that wink was. I guess that wink always freaked me out. Cause I'm like, what does that mean? What wink? Uh, like there was a wink, like, like as he's dying and, and being put into the stasis pod, he kind of looks at Archer and winks. Oh, okay. And it just always messed with my head. I don't know. Yeah, I always liked Trip because he, 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 for me, he was like the window into the world. Like, that's who I would be if I was there, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I totally get people being connected to that or enjoying Enterprise. So, like, just because of, like, my feelings on it, I don't want to dunk on anyone who's into it. Uh, and I do, I mean, I would rewatch Enterprise, like I said. Like, it's not even my least favorite Star Trek. So, <laughs> there's w much worse Star Trek. <laughs> I love the song. People hate the song. I love the song. I, I kind of love it, too. Yeah. I kind of love Faith of the Heart. 
every time it came on, I was watching it with Phelan. He's like, skip intro, skip intro. <laughs> <laughs> he hates it so much. Really? Like, I got faith That's of the heart. <laughs> Will take me. Something like that. I love that that's the one Star Trek that did that. Yeah. I kind of like, I adore that they stuck with it for four years. They held their ground and they're like, this is our theme song and this is what we're going to use. Amazing. When I was doing my rewatch of it, Rennie was about four and she watched every episode with me and her favorite part was getting up with me and we sang the theme song. And then we would sit oh. back down. So I liked when they did the the evil version of the theme when they did the oh, mirror universe yeah. episodes. That was amazing because they so never did good. that before. No matter what was I happening, I love the mirror episodes. Yeah. Those were really they're probably their best episodes. It was great to see uh, classic Enterprise, and it was really fun. I felt like the actors really got to just have fun doing that one. Were those built for that, or was that the Ticonderoga sets? I'm not sure. I got no idea. I don't know. I remember it both ways, so I don't know. I know from that episode, I remember hearing about this on um, The Toys That Made Us, which is a documentary series on Netflix. They talk about different lines of toys from the 80s. Uh, I think some maybe into the 70s or 90s as well, but a lot of them from the 80s. And um, they were talking about Star Trek toys, and they mentioned the phaser toys from the uh, the original series, and when they were doing the Mirror Universe Enterprise episodes, they needed more of them, and they're like, "Wait, we already have these pre-made things." So they took one of the toys, and they were like, "This is not. This is just going to be in the background. It's not really going to be seen on screen. You know, like we're not really. No one's going to notice it." And sure enough, it ended up right in Scott Bakula's hand, like <laughs> front and center. Well, why not? It's already made, right? Yeah, I never would have known it was a toy, honestly, unless they said that. But that amuses me to no end, watching that, knowing that he's holding a Star Trek toy during that episode. That's, that's really awesome, yeah. I, I don't have any phasers. I have tricorders and I have communicators, but, you know, I don't like guns, so I don't even have phasers in the house. But that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that you're a Trekkie. I'm, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really cool to have someone to talk to about things that most people have no idea about really i like talking about geeky tv things it's fun do you collect toys i know you have a lot of different videos and things in your background when you do things yeah i do some i have like some action figures so i'm not a big action figure collector i think most of them are like gifted to me Mm. i have like a million evil dead 2 action figures because people just kept buying me evil dead 2 action figures (laughs) (laughs) but um i like you know what i really like is like um props or toy props that are like similar to things from the show like i i bought a a replica hand link from uh quantum leap oh, wow. that uh that the i think they're called the prop shop uh, i know matt talked about it that he was working with them on on a version with sound yeah. and uh they were selling some prototypes that don't have sound and i bought one of those because i just think that's amazing does it light up it doesn't light up it doesn't have lights or sound okay that's the version that that he's working on that I think he's run into issues with. Awesome. So it's taking a long time. But. So are those going to be like mass produced eventually? Or? Oh, no. I wish they would, though. But I mean, I guess, you know, you'd have to think about what kind of market there is for that anytime yeah. you're making that. I mean, it took yeah. forever for Quantum Leap just to be on Blu-ray because as much of a fandom as it has, it's not like... It has to be really huge to make a, a profit, and that's what they're mm-hmm. looking at. I never thought it would happen, so. but it happened. 
oh yeah it was perfect timing for me you know like i'm like oh yeah i obsessed over i got the dvds and all this and now they're doing a blu-ray release hell yeah did you watch them first on blu-ray or dvd oh dvd yeah Yeah, i watched the music replacement dvds and i didn't even realize like how garbage they looked until you know you see the hd version it's like man how freaking yellow were some of these episodes very true Uh, are there any fandoms that you abandoned uh yeah yeah i kind i've been more quick to drop things that like if i'm not having fun anymore i'm just gone you know like i used to be really big into supernatural i mean we used we did like a podcast on it but um eventually like that was a show that's like it's it's been on just too long um it was originally planned to end around five seasons. It's on season 15 right wow. now. I think they said it's their last one, but who knows? Mm. They've said it before. But around season maybe eight was when it really started going sour. Mm. And uh, I used to be such a completist, but it was around season 11. We were doing the podcast on it and we realized like we were, it was just so repetitious, all the complaints that we had and we weren't having any fun mm. anymore. So why were we even watching it so we decided just to stop and i did not regret it i, I didn't miss it at all it kind of like it just took away the fun for me and i, I maybe someday I'll, I'll revisit the old good seasons because i i really liked the first five a lot but um mm. there just became a certain point where it's like this isn't really the show anymore yeah when something becomes a chore then there's no point in doing it anymore yeah um there's I stopped being into Doctor Who, too. Wow. But, like, I mean, there's some of the older stuff I'm still fine with. I'm still into. I just don't I just don't revisit it. So I don't dislike Doctor Who. Mm. I just stopped watching around the, um, the beginning of the Capaldi seasons because, um, I don't know, I didn't like Moffat's style of, of show running. Mm-hmm. I liked his one-offs a lot. He's really good at... at one idea concepts that are really spooky mm-hmm. and, a, and a very clever one-off mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. but i think like um story arcs it, it just it, it fell short for me in, in ways i didn't like and it around the matt smith seasons i just i didn't really feel anything and i was trying to get through the capaldi ones and i'm like this isn't really i just don't feel like it's it's for me anymore the uh halfway through the newest season rosa parks episode that was really good that one I heard was similar to Quantum Leap in ways. Yeah, I would say. Maybe that's why I liked it. I don't know. But that was pretty good. But then for, for some reason, I don't know. I think it was there was too many companions. I don't know. But I, I liked the doctor. How do you feel about um, the doctor being a woman just as a concept? Oh, I as the moment I heard it, I was stoked. And, you know, as soon as the T-shirts went, came out, I went to Hot Topic and got one for me and one for Rennie and... <laughs> got her uh, a sonic screwdriver and we sat and watched the premiere of the episode and the countdown party before it with will wheaton as a guest at the party and it was pretty fun so i was all about it because you know why not cool I, I, I don't really see people as men and women like i do because you know i have testosterone but i look at them more as their brain like people are their brain and like just we're in different meat costumes if that makes sense sure yeah so but i was excited because i was like cool because like rennie's first doctor could be a woman but she wasn't into it and then the spider episode kind of freaked her out she liked the first one but then like there there was like a desert one where there was like worms or so it was under the ground i forget but then the spider one she was like i'm done 
okay. Well, I had a great time talking to you tonight. Yeah, it was fun talking. I know we, we had a big chunk just about Star Trek, so I don't know how, how long people have hung in there, but... <laughs> I think the other two people are Trekkies or bots, so either way, they'll listen. All right. Well, if Matt's listening, maybe Matt will listen. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hope you enjoyed the Star Trek stuff. We recorded this one especially for you. It's it's uh, it's yeah. my Patreon exclusive to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how should we end this? Maybe maybe we should uh, we should end it by wishing people good night, sleep well, good dreams. Everything's kind of stupid, but that's okay. <laughs> this has been Albie, and uh, next time on a conversation with Albie, we are talking to Donnie Norton. I mean, it takes a certain amount of anger to step out on a military cot mm-hmm. so you can look the guy that you're talking shit to in the face and poke him in the chest. <laughs> So what do you think about that, Allison? Uh, sounds good. Until next time, I'm Albie. I'm Allison. And, and I, I helped. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Conversation with Albie. The podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by Albert Burge. The announcer is Zoe Dean. Original music and lyrics for A Conversation with Albie was written and composed by Felicia Frazetta. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Barron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Support from listeners like you help keep this podcast operating. To support all of Albie's content creations, please visit us at patreon.com slash trekaholic. You can visit barronspace.com to listen to new installments of this and other amazing podcasts from Barron Space Productions. A Conversation with Albie is available for download and easy listening wherever fine podcast programming is given away. A Conversation with Albie is a Baron Space production. We are talking to... To be announced, fill it in later. So what do you think about that, Allison? Uh, sounds good. That I'm excited about. Blank. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.